Heavenly Father, we thank you for the passage of Scripture that we've had read to us. We pray that you would help us to look at this passage in a fresh way, that your Holy Spirit would be present here, and that we would have a sense of what you would speak to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've ever been into a Christian bookstore, you'll know that there are pieces of artwork, it could be posters or banners or wall hangings or even t-shirts, and they often have some kind of biblical passage on there. And what you'll notice is that there are a handful of passages that are usually used, the ones that are the most popular. So it could be the 23rd Psalm, it could be the Lord's Prayer, it could be the Ten Commandments, it could be the, the love chapter from uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Those are some of the, the really popular uh, verses and passages that are, are used in, in this kind of artwork. I'm still waiting for someone to do a beautiful painting of that wonderful passage in uh, 2 Kings where God's vengeance comes upon a bunch of teenagers who are making fun of Elisha for being bald. Okay, that is my life passage there, and I think that it would be just a beautiful thing. So if you find uh, something like that, make sure to, to get it for me. And uh, and all God's bald guys said, Amen. Okay. Now, one of the the passages that is very common to have there is Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse fourteen, and that that beautiful beautiful verse and pretty familiar verse. Uh, about uh, praying and how God comes and, and heals the land. It, it's a, just a, a beautiful verse. And perhaps you have uh, some kind of piece of artwork in your home that has that verse from Second Chronicles 7.14. The problem with that is that it is often misinterpreted. The way that many people look at that verse is, if we only spend some time in prayer, God will bless us. It's just a, a, a transaction. We will pray and God will bless us. And that's how we look at it. It's as simple as that. Now, don't get me wrong. Prayer is extremely important. We need to be praying. And this passage touches on prayer. But this passage isn't primarily about prayer. And that might seem like a shock to you, but... I'm going to unpack that for you as to to what it looks like. So let's kind of position ourselves of where we are because it's a little bit confusing in terms of the progression we've had over the past couple of weeks. Uh, last week, we were looking at uh, a time of uh, the prophet Elisha, and this is a little bit uh, further in the future from where we are this week. And the reason for that is the book of Chronicles covers... Uh, a number of the events that took place in the books of Samuel and the books of Kings. So we have kind of gone back in time. Now we are uh, there just after the time of King David. Now it is his son Solomon who is king. And at this point, Israel hasn't divided up. It is still a united uh, country. And the uh, the temple in Jerusalem has just been built. David had wanted to build the temple himself. But God had spoken clearly to him and said that that was not something for him. It would be something for his son Solomon who would do that. The honor would go to Solomon 
to build this temple in Jerusalem. And this isn't just a, a worship building. As excited as we might get to, to be building a church building today, it's not like that. This is the one place in which worship could take place. This is really a big thing. Until this point, God had been worshipped in a tent. This is what's called the, the tabernacle. But now he's getting a permanent structure in Jerusalem. It could no longer be moved around. In one place, the sacrifices would take place, and that is where the worship would be. And so at this point, that temple has been completed, and it is the time for dedication. So the temple is dedicated, and God speaks to Solomon at this dedication. Now, I don't know what Solomon was expecting to hear from God. I know that if we were doing a major change in our building and we were dedicating it and God spoke to me, I know what I would want to hear. I would want to hear something like, hey, great job, you're doing fantastic, keep up the good work, uh, the blessings are just going to keep on coming. You know, That's what I would want to hear from God. Maybe that's what Solomon wanted to hear from God. But that's not exactly what he heard from God. Uh, what we get in this message is that God accepts the temple as the place where he is to be worshipped. He, he receives this and says, I, I accept it, it's all good. Uh, but then he goes on to say that they are expected to live in obedience. And by they, I mean the people of Israel. God's people are expected to live in obedience. That they uh, know God's will, it has been revealed to them, and they must continue on that. And as long as they continue on that right path, things will go well. But if they disobey, then God will punish them. And by punishment, it's not punishment for the sake of punishment. Really, it's more of discipline. It's discipline to bring them back to where they're supposed to be. God doesn't just take out his anger as if he has a really bad temper. That's not the way it works. Rather, he disciplines as a parent disciplines their child to bring them back to the right way. And so he warns them, if you continue to disobey, you will find that there are consequences. And one of the consequences that he mentions is this beautiful temple that has just been built, this incredible thing that it's hard for us to even imagine what it looked like, uh, that that temple building would could become a just a pile of rocks. It could be just a rubble if they continue to be disobedient. And imagine what Solomon was thinking. Like they finally have built this thing. It's still got that new temple smell. It's not been worn out by uh, you know thousands of worshippers coming through and and animals uh, being sacrificed or anything like that. It's in perfect condition. And already God is talking about the possibility that this place could be destroyed. That's just absolutely incredible. But that is the message that he receives from God. Now, when we look at this, we have to actually realize that there are two historical contexts that we're looking at here. So the one context that we're looking at is the events that we just talked about. So it's the time of Solomon. It's that period just after the temple's been built. It's at the actual dedication of the temple. But the other historical context we have is when Chronicles was written. And so uh, when you look at, uh, at Samuel and Kings, they are written before the exile of uh, Babylon. Chronicles was written afterwards. Uh, the, they had spent 70 years in exile, 
And after they came back to the land of Judah, to the Jerusalem area, that's when Chronicles was written. So imagine what that first audience who uh, was who would be reading the, this passage from Chronicles, what they would think as they hear this warning to Solomon and to realize that they had absolutely failed. They had been uh, disobedient. And not only had they been disobedient, they had to face the consequences of that. Uh, the Babylonians came in, they conquered Judah, they uh, captured Jerusalem, and not only did they capture Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, this magnificent building that was meant to house God's glory. The Babylonians destroyed it. It was just a bunch of rocks. There was nothing left. And so uh, Solomon is receiving this warning as a future warning. This is what will happen if you are disobedient. But the people who are first reading Chronicles, they're getting it from the other side. They're being reminded of what their own disobedience has caused. And this warning is given to them for a reason. Because that passage in 714, that prayer, is not just a general prayer, but a prayer of repentance. That they are being offered uh, an opportunity to come back to God, to pray in repentance, to turn around, to be obedient, and to experience God's blessings. And so that's what uh, is being said in this particular passage. But what does that mean for us? Now, there's a number of bad applications that we could make to this passage. For some people, uh, they would look at this passage and say, well, this is just about an angry God who's just looking to to uh, hit us hard anytime we step out of line. We make the, the slightest mistake. He's going to punish us. He's going to curse us. Everything's going to come down. Uh, and that is not what this passage is about. God does not punish for the sake of punishing. He simply wants to make sure that we are going in the right direction. And because of that, there are consequences when we step out of line. Uh, if you've ever seen uh, a parent who refuses to have consequences to their children when they do something wrong, you see that child does not have a happy life. Uh, they end up suffering even more than the person who experiences some form of discipline. And so that's not what this passage is about. Uh, another bad application would be for us as a Christian church to, to look back and say, wow, those Israelites, they just did not get it. They were so disobedient. Aren't we glad that we are the Christian church, that we have it together, that we can be confident, that we know what's going on, that we're staying on the straight and narrow and everything's going to be good? Uh, that is not what this application is about because we struggle with obedience just as much as those ancient Israelites did. Uh, another application that I could talk about is that sometimes this uh, this passage is uh, taken by certain countries, and I won't mention it, I'll just say they're slightly south of where we are, and as if they are the new uh, the new Israel, the new people of God, and they can take on this as if this is uh, directly applicable to them. Well, I want to actually uh, take us in a bit of a different direction of where this passage is, because I do believe that it is absolutely relevant and applicable to us, but in a way that perhaps we didn't expect. So uh, this passage comes at a very specific time, and that is the dedication of the temple. We have to ask, what is the temple today. And the New Testament talks about temples 
in a couple of different ways, but one of the ways that it does is found in 1 Corinthians. And uh, the Apostle Paul uh, describes uh, the temple in a very specific way that I think we need to be hearing. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, we read, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Now, when he's speaking there, he's not speaking to individual Christians. He's speaking to the church. He's saying that the church, not the building, but the people are the temple of God because the Holy Spirit is in our midst and that old temple, it was the temple because God's glory, God's presence was in there. Since the Holy Spirit is among us as we worship, that we are the new temple. And so as our temple, as the church is dedicated are we willing to hear these same words, these, this warning to say that there are uh, consequences when we walk outside of God's will, when we are disobedient to his absolute will? Now, we might think, wait a minute, this has no place for us in the Christian church. Uh, haven't you ever heard of the concept of grace? We live in the period of grace. It's not about doing the right thing or or not doing the wrong thing or anything like that. It's simply about grace. And I would say, amen. We live in the age of grace. We are adopted into God's family, not by achieving a certain level or anything like that. It is simply because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross because of his resurrection. We can, by God's grace, be in God's family. But even then, the grace that saves us is not meant to free us so that we can do whatever we want. When we are adopted into God's family, we are expected to live according to the way he wants. But this warning I see not so much specifically towards individual Christians, but towards the church. What does this mean to us as a church? If, if God has a will for this church, if God has a mission for this church, what happens if we choose not to go in that direction? Is it possible that there are still consequences, even in this New Testament age, even in this Christian Jesus age for us, are there still consequences? Well, there are. We actually read in the book of Revelation and the letter that is given to the church at Ephesus, this warning. It says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, the lampstand there in the book of Revelation, Revelation is full of symbols. The lampstand uh, refers to the the existence of the church. Uh, John, uh, who receives the revelation, he sees these number of lampstands that represent these different churches. And Jesus in this letter is warning that if you don't turn around from what you've done, you will have your lampstand removed. That means things will come to an end. Now, I need to make things clear. Uh, just because a church closes does not mean it's because of disobedience. That is not the way it is. There are some very good churches that have closed, and there are some really bad churches that have stayed open. That That is the, the fact. However, we have seen in recent years some pretty big mega churches that everyone would have looked at and said, wow, they have got it together. They are the epitome of success. They have everything you could possibly imagine. And we have seen things completely implode on them because they were walking away from what God wanted. They had 
other uh, goals other than just the kingdom of God. And so that is a warning to us. We have to ask ourselves as a church, uh, are there consequences? If we have uh, discovered and discerned what God wants for us as a church, the, the direction that he wants us to go, and if we say, God, we are not going to do that, because we have our own way, we have a more comfortable way, we have a better way, we simply have to ask, are there consequences to that? Is Will God just continue to bless us saying, well, you know what, as long as you're entertained, that's all that matters to me. Or is it possible that he has a mission for us to build his kingdom in this community? I need to be, confess something to you, and that is, this is not the message that I would want to preach. The message I would want to preach is uh, God loves us no matter what, which is true, and that we can do whatever we want and God won't care, which is false. Okay, That is not the way things are. But I would want to preach to you a really good, feel-good message that we just walk away saying, oh, we're just, we can just pat ourselves on the back. Everything is great. And I believe that things are very good here at Queen Street Baptist Church. But we're always in this place where we have to re-remember our mission and to, to go back to the reason God has placed a congregation in this place, uh, in the community we have, in the context we have, and to ask, are we doing what God has called us to do? And I would say that right now we are indeed doing that. But that warning is always hanging over us that what happens if we walk away? But it's not a bad news message because that passage from Second Chronicles 7.14 reminds us that when we start to step away, and we will, as long as we allow human beings into the church, we are always going to have the temptation to stumble along the way. So it is going to happen. But Second Chronicles 7.14 reminds us at any time we can come back to God and we can pray to him and we can confess that we have wandered, we have stepped out of the direction that he wanted for us, and God will come and heal us, and he will turn us around and get us going back in the right direction. And because of that, we have some very, very good news. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this story of the dedication of Solomon's temple. And God, uh, we know that uh, even though there is no longer a temple in Jerusalem, uh, that we are your temple. Not this building at 57 Queen Street, but this group of people who gather in your name. And Lord, we dedicate ourselves to you and to the work that you have for us. Uh, Lord, it can be kind of scary as we uh, know that we have our weaknesses, we have our temptations, we have our desires for comfort, and I speak for myself more than, than anyone. But we believe that you have revealed a, uh, a mission for us to be your people here and to make a difference in this community. Help us to remain strong on that mission and that we would be faithful and obedient to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name. Amen.